0: Hello and thanks for tuning in to the 10th and Broad Church of Christ podcast. Today's message is presented by Ken Holsbury, the preaching minister at the 10th and Broad Church. Let's tune in now for Ken's message. Do you ever have the feeling that things just aren't right? That things are just not the way that they're supposed to be. I had a joke written next, but it's not a joking matter. Do you sometimes just feel oppressed with that sense that things are just not the way they're supposed to be? And we could go through a long litany of reasons, experiences. As I look out on this group of people who I love so much and have gotten to share parts of your life, I know some of your stories and I know some of the things that have happened that I imagine you. Cry out to God sometimes and just say things are not the way they're supposed to be. And they're not. Things are not the way that they're supposed to be. Because everything in this world is broken. Everything in this world is broken. Nothing in this world is living up to the purpose for which God created it. Nothing in this world is functioning like God intended it to function when he spoke it into existence. Everything in this world, including you and me, is living in a constant state of frustration and there's one reason why, and the reason is our sin. see sin is the, the description that most resonates with me because of just how much we hate cancer and we see what cancer does in the lives of people we love. Sin is a cancer on our souls. But more than that, sin is a cancer on our world, on everything that's ever been created. It is causing destruction. It's causing decay. It's causing death. And I don't think there is any possible way that any of us can comprehend just how true that is. I don't think there is any way for us to really understand just how much sin... Our contributions to that sin, the sin that began with Adam and Eve, I don't think any of us can understand just how much sin is affecting every single atom and molecule that makes up the world. Because it's all we've ever known. We were born into this sin-cursed world. It's all we know. It's the air that we breathe. It's the atmosphere in which we live. But even though we can't understand it, there is still, because of that part of us in which eternity is written into our souls, that we still sense and know on some level that this is not the way it's supposed to be. Very honestly, if we dwell in that, if we have to endure in periods of suffering, if our families are not like we wish they were, if our bodies are not like we wish they were, it can drive us to despair. Despair. It can lead us to despair because despair is the outlook of condemnation. No hope. Frustration. Not the way it's supposed to be. Despair. And that's why I'm thankful to be climbing this mountain of Romans chapter 8. That's why I'm thankful God has given us this summit to stand on and to look out with no obstructions in the clear blue sky and see this incredible and awesome view of reality from God's perspective. And that even in this world, That is not the way it's supposed to be. Even in the sin cursed world in which everything is decaying toward death, our Father speaks the incredible words there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And with that view, there is a sense of hope, a sense of life, a sense of a future. And from that view, the blessings just cascade and continue. Because if no means no to condemnation, because we are in Christ Jesus and have been filled with His Spirit, then we can say no to sin because of the power of the Spirit in us. And we can say, we can put to death the misdeeds of the body because no means no to condemnation. We can say no to sin because of the righteousness of Jesus that is in us. And if no means no to condemnation and no means no to sin, then no means no to fear. We do not have to go back. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to let fear dictate our actions and our thoughts and our habits. We can say no to that. And because no means no to all those things, we see in this part of Romans chapter 8, this particular view that no means no to despair. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I just think it's interesting. Is we've used a lot of we and, and you language, but do you hear the I language here? I, I just I sense that Paul he says, I consider. I think Paul is, is reflecting on his life and his experiences. And he, he goes in detail to some of that in, in 2 Corinthians. But Paul is saying he knows suffering. He knows what it's like to be frustrated. He knows that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And just in the middle of this, he just I think there's this, this sense of Paul personally saying here, I consider because of Jesus that all these present sufferings, and every one of you have your present sufferings. Every one of you could put yourself in this eye. And you, you have your list. And you, have, you know the sufferings you are going through. And because of Jesus, like Paul, we can say, I consider that they are not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. See, the Bible does not paint a... a a pie-in-the-sky picture of life. And that's not what we see at the summit. The Bible acknowledges our suffering. It acknowledges our frustration. It acknowledges that things are not the way they're supposed to be. But what this Bible does is it puts all that in perspective. It gives us a, a different way, a new way to look at our present sufferings. That they, that they don't compare to what the future holds for us. And that's why it's so good to spend time in Romans chapter 8. And if you are struggling to memorize, like was said a few minutes ago, I resonate with that. I am struggling as well. But I want to say to you, even if you don't get it memorized word for word, what a blessing it is that you are pouring it into your heart and into your soul and into your mind. And these words will breathe life into you when you need that life because they teach us. That there's a different way to look at things. There's a new and different reality. There is a glory that is coming. That is going to make everything in this life worth it. Everything. It's coming. There is a glory that is coming. And it is going to be... It's going to be something special. It's going to be something that right now we cannot even begin to imagine how good it is going to be when the Lord Jesus comes and claims his own. And restores everything and makes everything right and makes everything new. That glory is going to be right now. It's beyond our comprehension. Because things are not the way they are supposed to be. And we were not created to live in this sin-ridden world. We were not made to live in decaying and dying bodies. We were made for something more than that. We were made for a greater purpose. And the day is coming when that is going to be fulfilled. And it is going to be reality. When God will once and for all deal with the curse of sin. And when that day comes, it will be glory. But this passage also teaches us something that goes even beyond that: that it's not just us who are living in frustration. It's literally all of creation. Everything that God made is living in frustration too. The created world, the earth itself is, is, is waiting with bated breath, with eager anticipation for what is going to be revealed. The earth is frustrated. Because of the creation, because of the curse of sin, the creation is also under that curse. And it didn't actually do anything. But because of our sin, everything has changed for the earth. And it's in bondage. And everything has been devolving. And everything has been decaying. And everything has been dying. And, and that's just the world that we live in. But, but it is the world now. It's not the world as it will be. And you and I... Because this is the air we breathe. We think it's normal. It's all we've ever known. But the story of God always points us to something different than that. That that there will come a time when things will be what they're supposed to be. There is a glory that is coming. Our hope will be fulfilled. God is unveiling a plan to bring everything back to its original intention. Back to the glory and the purpose for which it was created. And what amazes me about this truth in Romans chapter 8 is in a way that I do not understand or comprehend. What is going to be revealed, the glory that is going to be revealed, the purpose, the, the intention that is going to be restored is amazingly has something to do with you and me. And I don't, I don't get it. I don't pretend to understand it, but I see it clearly at least three times in this passage that the glory that is coming, the glory that the earth itself is anticipating has to do with what is going to be revealed in you and me. In verse 18, that glory will be revealed in us. In verse 19, creation is waiting for the children of God to be revealed. Verse 21, freedom will come with the glory of the children of God. See, you and I were made for so much more than we understand. You and I are going to be revealed in a way when Christ returns that we don't even begin to comprehend. But there is a day coming when you and I We'll be changed and we will be like him. We'll be like him. Those are all phrases from God's word that point to this new reality that will emerge when Jesus returns triumphantly and restores everything. And even though I don't understand it, I choose to believe it. And I hope that you do too. And even though I don't understand it, I choose to look toward it and to anticipate it. The question that rises is, what are we supposed to do in the meantime? In this in-between time, this, this already but this not-yet time. If we don't despair, then what in the world do we do? While I'm waiting, and while I'm living, and while I'm suffering. And what Romans 8 teaches us to do is to groan. Not moan, but to groan. Not gripe, but to groan. That while I wait for this glory that is going to be revealed somehow in me because of Christ, that one of the ways that I deal with that in the meantime is that I groan. And again, groaning as we're going to talk about here, is different than moaning. Groaning is different than griping. Moaning and griping is what the children of Israel did for 40 years in the wilderness. We talked about that last week, and we said, don't go back to that. When things got hard, when they suffered, they moaned, they complained, they looked back, they wanted to go back, back to Egypt, back to slavery, back to fear. We don't want to do that. We want to, we want to go forward. And, and and that is in, in this message that I'm presenting to you that I draw from Romans chapter 8. That is the basic difference between moaning and groaning. Moaning always makes us look back. Back to something that we imagine. Back to something that was probably never even there in the first place. But we look back. That's what moaning and griping does. But groaning makes us look forward. Groaning makes our eyes look up. Groaning connects us to God. And we're going to see that next week very clearly. Verse 22 tells me that creation is groaning. Verse 23 tells me that Christians are groaning. And as we're going to see next week, verse 26 says that even the Holy Spirit is participating in our groaning. That's why I say groaning connects us to God through the Spirit. And so it's okay that we groan. It's okay to acknowledge that the world is not the way that it is supposed to be. That life isn't going as I planned or as I imagined or as it's supposed to. That I'm not who I want to be. That I don't do what I want to do. And so I groan. I look forward. And Paul even gives us an image of groaning. It's an incredible image. A great description of groaning. And that description is childbirth. Now I've never been through childbirth Carol Burnett said for men If we want to figure out what that's like We need to take our lower lip And somehow wrap it around the back of our head And then we might have just a little bit of a sense Of what that's like But I've stood beside my wife When she was groaning in childbirth And I'm telling you it wasn't pretty She was there and I was there And the doctor was there And Things were happening and I was a nervous wreck and Right in the middle of all of this right as things are happening the phone rang in the room that we were in And I looked at paula and she looked at me and I looked at the doctor and he looked at me and he said we'll go get it And so I did I ran over to the phone and I picked it up and I yelled into the receiver. We're having a baby And I slammed it down And I didn't find out till later that it was my mama And she had called the hospital and they had connected her to the room. And she was just saying, we landed. We're going to be there in a minute. But I didn't even let her get those words out. (laughs) Telling you, childbirth's hard on a guy. (laughs) That's the image. this, This image of childbirth that Paul uses to help us connect to what he's talking about when he says that we groan. Because childbirth is hard. Childbirth is painful. But it is worth it because of the glory that is revealed. And most every woman I've ever known is willing to go through it again. As hard as it is and as painful as it is, because of the glory that is revealed. And that's the image that Paul plants in our mind. That's the image that the Holy Spirit plants in our mind. That is what groaning is. It doesn't take away the pain. It doesn't remove the suffering. It doesn't change the circumstance. But in the end, what we went through just doesn't even compare to what we received. That's groaning. That's looking ahead. That's why it's worth it. And if we carry that analogy through, when we get to that moment to which all of history is moving And Jesus returns, we will look back on everything that we've experienced and everything that we have endured and everything that we have suffered and everything that frustrated us. And we would say, I would do it all again to get here with Jesus. And so we look forward to what is clunk coming. To the glory that will be revealed. And folks. This. Is how Jesus. Endured. This is how Jesus. Went through what he went through. This is why Jesus. Didn't give up. And persevered. And finished to the end. Hebrews 12 and 2 says. It was for. For the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross the same thing that got Jesus through is what will get you and me through it's for the joy that's set before us it's for the glory that is set before us Jesus groaned he endured it he made it through he could have called ten thousand angels and been released in the blink of an eye And instead, he groaned, and he looked ahead, and he went through. And that's one of the ways that we follow him. He's the pioneer of our faith. He's the one who goes before. He blazes a trail, and we follow right behind him, and we do exactly what he did, and he groaned, and so we groan. And he endured and so we endure. And he pushed through and so we push through. Because there is a joy and there is a glory that is set before us. Now, that leads us to verse 24 and 25. There are two virtues in these verses that go along with groaning. Patience and hope. Actually in... The order they come is hope and patience. See, we hope. Hope by its very nature is looking ahead and imagining and longing and believing and moving to a reality that we believe in but don't see yet. And that's why it's called hope. We can't see it. We can't possess it. But it is real and it is coming and it will be worth it. And so we hope, we eagerly hope, we, we confidently hope, and while we hope, we cultivate patience. And we groan, but we keep looking ahead. Reminds me of a story, true story, by, about a man named Arturo Kinch. Arturo Kinch from Coast, Costa Rica. So Costa Rica is in Central America. It's hot there. There's only one season. Hot. They've only sent three people in their history to the Winter Olympics. And Arturo was one of those three. Because he had gotten to travel as a young kid to Norway. And he fell in love with snow. And he wanted to become a snow skier and did. And this story that takes place isn't at the Olympics. It's at an event in Norway called the Kolen Ski Festival. And it was the first ski event he ever competed in and it did not go well for him partway through the race somehow he fell and he fractured his tailbone and if you've ever done that that's painful but he had longed all his life so much to be a snow skier that he got up and he determined he was going to finish this race Tradition at this ski event is for the king who attends to come down and to welcome the skiers as they come across the finish line and to present the awards to those who win. And so the king stood and he shook hands with the winners and everyone came through. There was no one in sight, but there were whispers that there was someone who was still coming. And so the king decided he would wait and he would pay his respects to this skier for his perseverance. And so the king waited. And since the king waited, it meant that all 60,000 people waited. And they waited for two and a half hours. And Arturo began to get closer to the stadium. And he was persevering and he was pushing through and he was in pain, but he was not going to give up. And he began to hear what he thought sounded like cheering. He could not imagine that there would be anyone left, but he became convinced the closer he got that there were in fact, there was in fact cheering going on. He assumed all the banners would be taken down and everyone would have left, but in pain and exhaustion and cold and hungry, maybe even a little delirious, he pressed on. And as he drew closer, he began to see that the stadium was full of people. And as he entered the stadium, 60,000 people and the king stood up and cheered for Arturo. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, in this race of life, Somewhere along the way, you've fallen and broken your tailbone. And it hurts. And you're in pain. And this race is not going like you imagined that it would go. But you press on. And you persevere. And you push through. And you groan all that you need to groan. But you keep your eyes ahead for the joy and for the glory that is most assuredly waiting for you in Christ Jesus. And when you arrive, there will be a great cloud of witnesses. But even more than that, the King Will be there. And it will have been worth it. Would you bow? Brother, there are people in this room this morning who are hurting, who are physically in pain this morning. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. There are people in this room this morning, watching online, who are hurting emotionally. The fabric of their life has been ripped. And it is not the way that it is supposed to be. there are people this morning who have been hurt by others through no fault of their own and there are people here this morning who have hurt themselves there are people here whose dreams and aspirations have been crushed whose families Have disappointed. There are people here this morning who are struggling, Lord. Struggling to get out of bed. Struggling to get through a day. Struggling to make it through a long night. And as much as we cry out, you've not removed those struggles. The pain is still there, and the hurt is still there, and the frustration is still there. And so, we don't give up on you because of that. But like our Lord Jesus, whom we are following, we endure. And our sufferings are redeemed and transformed because they have a purpose in our life, Lord. They cause us to groan and to put our eyes on you. And because of the joy and the glory and the hope that is set before us, we will endure and we will press through. I ask you Lord to help my brothers and sisters to wade out in the deep water with them to walk through the fire to go into the lion's den and see them through and bring them to that glorious day when we will see Jesus face to face and we will be like him. Thank you, Jesus. You are our everything. We love you. We will not take our eyes off of you. Amen.